Welcome to the Disability Parenting Podcast, where stories unite, community thrives, and validation is paramount for parents raising children with disabilities. I am your host, Lexi Emery, and I am so excited to have you here with me today. So today I am going to do a solo episode. I am going to be talking all about what it was like to receive our daughter's autism diagnosis and just the whole journey that goes along with that because obviously it's more than just a moment. So I asked all of you on our Instagram account at Disability Parenting Pod if you guys wanted to hear about our NICU journey or what it was like to receive our autism diagnosis in that journey. And it was a landslide of autism diagnosis, which honestly I was a little surprised by. I think it was like 75% of you guys wanted to hear about that. So you ask and you shall receive. I am excited to talk about this. Honestly, this is not a story I have shared too many times. I think my family and close friends know about it, but I don't think I've ever just (laughs) talked about it from like day one to when we did receive the diagnosis and what that was like. So I am really excited to share about that with you guys. Okay. So I, today I'm going to talk about what the waiting time was like between having autism be suspected and then between that and the actual diagnosis. And then I'll be talking about the different stages I went through emotionally and kind of what it was like after. I'm going to try and have this be like a very holistic view of everything we went through. So I'm going to start by just setting the scene of where we were at in our lives. And I think this will really help kind of paint a picture of what this time in our life was like. So this was back in the summer of 2021. So at the time... My daughter, Elle, would have been two years old. And then we had a newborn daughter, Jay. And she, like I said, was a couple of months old during this time. So in the summer of 2021, we were living in Colorado at the time. And my husband was offered a job transfer to Arizona. And we decided to take it. It was a very tough decision, but we decided to go through with it. So we had that on the horizon. Uh, My youngest daughter had just undergone a pretty big lung surgery and was recovering from that. And every year in the summer, my daughter Elle goes to what is called a Turner Syndrome Clinic. So in Colorado, the big children's hospital has something called a Turner Syndrome Clinic, which is the condition that she has in addition to autism. So it's a really great concept and it really works well in a lot of ways, but it's a very intense day. So basically what the clinic is, is my daughter has, I think, eight or nine different specialists that she sees that are related to Turner syndrome. So instead of us going to eight or nine different appointments, we have a day where the eight or nine specialists come to us and we typically stay in one room and it's just like a rotating door of doctors. And it's always been very hard for my daughter because she has a lot of medical anxiety and it's just a rough day. Okay. So this year in particular, my husband was already off in Arizona training for his new job. So at the time I brought my sister-in-law, Jamie, shout out to her because she is incredible and had just worked like a 12 hour 
night shift as a nurse, met us in the morning and stayed with me that whole day at the hospital. So I could like manage both my kids and just to have a support system there. And I'm so glad she was there. So anyways, we go to this appointment and I think we see five or six of the doctors up front and it's a lot. And then we get to the last doctor, which was going to be a psychiatrist. So every year we meet with a psychiatrist and just kind of chat about how things are going and her development and things like that. So we're talking through our daughter's development over the past year, and the psychiatrist is asking a lot of questions. And I remember thinking at the time, like, what do any of these have to do with anything? Like, these are such random questions. And I couldn't, like, piece together why she would ask these things until much later. But she was asking things like, does my daughter really, really like to watch the same show or read the same books? And I'm like, oh, yeah, she actually does. She really loves to watch just one show. And she'd ask things like, does your daughter fixate on holding or carrying certain objects. And I'm like, oh yeah, she actually does. She carries like this little Dr. Brown's bottle insert with her pretty much everywhere she goes. I was like, it's so cute. It's like her little um, comfort item. So again, it's like over and over and over, she's asking these questions. And I, at the time was very naive and just was like, you know, just telling her what, what the truth was and what, you know, was going on. And she gets to the end of the appointment and she looks at me and she says, Lexi, I, I'm seeing a lot of red flags for autism. And by the way, I don't like the term red flags for autism, but it is what she said. And I remember just feeling absolute shock because autism was not on my radar at all. And at the time, I remember being pretty defensive because I was like, well, well, what makes you think that? And she's like, well, there, it, it appears that based on like what you're telling me, there's a lot of rigidity and a lot of sensory avoiding and a lot of sensory seeking. And she's like, I, I haven't been able to get your daughter to engage with me at all or make eye contact. And I remember saying, well, okay, a couple of things. First of all, she was born in 2019. We spent the whole first year very isolated because she was very fragile, like medically fragile. And then we went straight into COVID. I'm like, so she hasn't been around a lot of people. She's not, you know, like super comfortable around people because she doesn't know how to be. And she said, well, you know, typically I can still get kids to like make eye contact or look at me. I was like, okay, but we also just went through five hours of medical appointments, which are really hard for her. So this is like her coping skill is just to like watch her show, sit in her stroller and like really try and zone in so that she can like block everything else out. I'm like, I I mean, she looks at me. She, she you know, responds to her name every once in a while. And so she said, okay, well, hear me out. Just maybe you know, read this book. She gave me a book and some resources and take some time to really think about it. And then promise me that you will um, schedule a six month follow-up or it was something like that. And I told her, I'm like, I'm moving in seven days out of state. She's like, oh, oh my, okay, well, let me try and get you some resources there. And she's like, but, but please take this seriously. 
And we left that appointment and I called my husband and just bawled my eyes out because it was such a hard day. And I, I, I remember like telling him everything that happened that day and then talking about this as almost like an afterthought, like, oh, and then this psychiatrist thinks she has like autism or something. And again, not that I just completely dismissed it, but I also just couldn't wrap my brain around it yet. And he, you know, was like, I think he was like in an airport or something. And we, you know, decided we would talk about it later. And I drove home with my two girls. We get home and I Google autism. And I start looking into like, what are the traits of autism? And I broke down. Like, I remember vividly just breaking down and saying, oh my gosh, she has autism. And in my gut, just knowing, like after I realized more of what autism was, because I think I had an idea of what autism was in my head. And then once I really like looked into it and realized how it can present in such different ways, especially with girls, I was like, oh my gosh. And like, to tell you I was overwhelmed was an understatement because like I said, we were about to move. I had a young daughter who just had surgery. My daughter Elle at the time was really struggling. I mean, oh my gosh, it was it was genuinely one of like the hardest weeks of my life. <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of setting the scene for this like, this is something we need to pursue and like the start of our journey. So I just wanted to share that because I think it is important to kind of know where we were coming from. So anyways, um, I jotted down here just a list I had in my phone that was ongoing of kind of her initial signs and um, characteristics that fit with autism. And I kept these in my notes in my phone and I would jot them down every time I saw something and this list just kept getting longer and I'll get more into it. But like I would go through seasons of being like, well, clearly this is autism. And then other seasons where I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, she's just kind of quirky and she, you know, wasn't exposed to kids. This is obviously because of COVID in the times we grew up or the times she grew up in. And this is more because she's behind or delayed because she was so premature as a baby. So I'll get more into that later, but for now, I'm just going to read the list that I had. And I think this is helpful because I craved, craved podcast episodes or books or blogs or anything like this that kind of talked about people's experience and like what they were actually experiencing. I just wanted to share these because that was something I really yearned for when we were going through this. So anyways, the list we have is lack of eye contact, didn't respond to her name very often, very repetitive, independent. She struggled a lot to be around other kids. Um, When she was frustrated, she like was very much unable to communicate in any other way except for yelling and grunting. She at the time, she had a very significant speech delay. So she had some words and some signs. And another huge thing we like can see now that we're out of it, but at the time we didn't put together necessarily that she had had a 
big, um, not necessarily regression, but plateau in her development in terms of language. So that was really interesting where she, I mean, was always delayed in her language, but then also kind of just plateaued. She fixated a lot on certain things. So balls, books, water, the show, Llama Llama, and then one like very specific toy she would carry with her everywhere. Um, She never stopped moving ever, ever, ever. Just very hyperactive. Uh, She was not affectionate in like the typical sense. Like I knew she loved us and the ways she expressed it, but it was in a very different way than what is typical. She was very uncomfortable around new people. She does not like people in her space. She was very sensory seeking in some ways and sensory avoiding in other ways. So sensory seeking, she really was looking for lights, bright lights, colors, screens, like different machines that would like replicate motion. So she had this sleep machine. I mean, she still has it to this day, but it's a sleep machine that looks like the ocean and has these little characters swim around, like things like that. She would put her eyes directly up to it and just watch it and just be mesmerized by it for extended periods of time. And then sensory voiding, it was a lot of noise. So, but it wasn't all noise. It wasn't like She couldn't handle a loud TV. She couldn't handle like a vacuum, a blender, garbage disposal, that kind of sound. Just, I mean, it was to the point where I would have to make my smoothies outside in the garage so she couldn't hear it. Or I would only vacuum when my husband, you know, took the girls to the park or something like that. So those were huge, huge triggers for her. And then being messy or she has a had a ton of oral aversions and a lot of issues with food. A lot of food would make her gag. She'd only eat very specific foods. Yeah, just food has always been really tough for her. And then she didn't notice her baby sister very much at all till she turned about seven months. Um, she would acknowledge her maybe once a day, twice a day, but really just went about her life and was just pretty unaffected by having brought a newborn home and things like that. And then she really struggled to recognize emotions. So like on other people realizing, oh, somebody's sad, somebody's happy. Um, That did not come naturally to her. She never brought objects of interest to us. So like if she found something she liked, typically a kid would then go show, oh, mom, look, look, look. Like that was not something she did at that time. She didn't point to things like, oh, look, an airplane and like, you know, point to it or anything like that. She had and still has a very, very high pain tolerance, which we didn't realize at the time can be a sign of autism. And then she has a very hard time falling asleep. Sleep has always been a really hard thing for her. And then just the last couple ones were just kind of the way she did things differently. So we realized now it was almost more like she was stimming. And the way she would do that is like she would run with her eyes sideways. So she'd be running straight, but her eyes glanced like down into the side and then watch how the world would look while she was running like that. Or she'd run and shake her head really fast. So yeah, just some like unique things she would do like that. And then she 
always, always, always wanted to have her shoes on. Like she wanted to sleep with her shoes on. She wanted them on the second she woke up. She's that has um, changed. Interestingly enough, she never wants to wear shoes now. But anyways, just like that that rigidity. So, anyways, that is my big old list of just things we were seeing and all of that. Okay, so during this time when I was kind of trying to piece together like, oh, could she have autism or is it is it all these other things? I was really battling two conflicting themes. So trying to identify everything that might be a trait of autism, but then also trying to convince myself they were caused by something else, either being preemie or COVID or she's quirky or, you know, things like that. But in my gut, I knew she had autism, but my brain, like I said, my brain was trying to convince me or rationalize otherwise. And that was hard. It was a hard place to be in, to not just be in in that full acceptance place, but not be in a denial. Like I was just in this middle ground. It was, it was really hard. So after that Turner syndrome clinic appointment and we did, you know, a week later move to Arizona, it took quite a while to establish care in a new place. Not just in the sense that like we, you know, had to find a new pediatrician. It was so much more than that. I mean, she's a medically complex kid, so we had to get her, you know, very dialed into the children's hospital there and the specialists there which honestly was the priority at the time just to make sure we had all of that set for her like health and things like that. But then we also had to, you know, try and get into developmental pediatrics and try and find all these different new things we were doing that I had never experienced before and to do it in a new place with a new like medical system and all that. It was so overwhelming time-consuming, and honestly, just difficult. I mean, they do not make this stuff easy. So that that was tough. But once we got established through the local children's hospital and all of that, we contacted the developmental pediatrics unit at the local children's hospital and you know asked to be put on the wait list to get an autism evaluation. And they told us, first, you have to be screened by developmental pediatrics to confirm that we agree she might have autism and that she needs to be evaluated. So that was a pretty long wait list. So we moved in July, we got on that and that screening appointment wasn't until the next year in March. So that like waiting time for the screening appointment was so difficult because our daughter was in so much distress from the move. This was the middle of summer in Arizona, which I was also in distress about. <laughs> it was so hard because it, it would be like equivalent to the winters, a lot of places. Like you just stay inside. You you really can't do much. Like it is unsafe to be out in the middle of the day when it's 115 degrees outside. So that was really tough for her. Um and then we now know she was suffering from like chronic ear infection. So she was basically just in a state of distress for like seven months. And she just yelled and screamed and cried and was just miserable for months. And, you know, we're in a new place. I don't know anyone 
My husband's working long, hard hours. I still have another whole child to take care of. Um, so it was, it was genuinely just such a hard, hard season. And we finally get to March and we have this screening appointment. And like, there's a lot of buildup to this appointment for me because it's like, either this is going to open a door or close a door. Either they're going to be like, yeah, no, we're not seeing that. Sorry. Like y'all have to figure something else out. Or yes, we're seeing the same things. Let's move on to the next step. And so it's like one of those like conflicting things where you like are kind of hoping they're like, yeah, we're not seeing that. I think she's just delayed. But then you also know likely that this is autism and that you want to be able to get her the resources so that you want to hear a yes. So anyways, that was just a tough place to be in going into this appointment. But uh, the appointment itself was horrendous. I have never been so disappointed by a pediatric facility in my life. So we show up to the the children's hospital and they kind of usher us into this weird area and they're like, sorry, like we don't have enough room to put you guys in a regular room. We're going to put you in what used to be like an old ER bay. So picture an ER bay where they have just like teeny tiny sterile rooms and the doctor comes in and asks a bunch of questions and you know my daughter's struggling because she's in a medical center that feels like she's been in plenty of ERs feels like an ER so she you know i would have expected a a, a big room with lots of fun colors and t- you know things for her to play with and mirrors and you know like the things you would expect for a pediatric facility to have but anyway, so she is, you know, just struggling and screaming and I'm trying to talk over her to talk to this to this guy and he's asking me all of these questions about my daughter and at the end of the appointment he goes, "Okay, well yeah, I think it's pretty clear that she likely has autism." Um so you have my, you know, green light to go ahead and like, you know, start pursuing getting an evaluation. And he goes, "You know, I think I think your daughter you know, could really be great someday. I think you could go get her in therapy, get things kind of squared away. And then she has the potential to be great. I mean, who knows? She could come back here in five years and I might not even know she has autism. You know, that's what we're hoping. And I remember just feeling a maternal rage (laughs) that I haven't felt many times. And I looked at him and I said, sir, she is great. This isn't a matter of if she will become great, if she doesn't act like she has autism. I said, she already is great, but thank you. And we will be moving on now. It was such a disappointing experience. But at the end of the day, we essentially got what we needed to be able to get the autism evaluation done. So I remember calling the next day and being like, okay, we have, you know, what we need. Can we get on the wait list? And they told me the wait list to get an autism evaluation through developmental pediatrics was so long that they didn't even have like a accurate prediction, but she guessed it would be at least two years. And I remember crying on the phone to this lady and saying, two years? Like, 
Do you know what happens in these two years of development? We cannot just sit around and wait for two years. She said, well, you know, sometimes if it's apparent enough, you can go through early intervention and um, you can start like speech and stuff now. And I'm like, no, that is not good enough. Like, we can't wait that long. And I said, okay, well, put us on, you know, whatever wait list you have. And I, I guess we'll, you know try and figure out what to do next. And that was just crushing to me because it wasn't that I needed to know if she had autism. It was that without a diagnosis, you cannot access the resources that our daughter needed. The diagnosis itself sometimes can be just an opening or an entrance two services. And that is what we knew we needed for our daughter. And so then we kind of morphed our trajectory of, okay, we're not just going to sit around and wait for an opening. I started looking at like, you know, can we get this done in Colorado? I'll just fly and get it done at our old children's hospital that I loved, which turns out can't do that because of insurance and all this nonsense. So Then we started looking at going through private places and um, not going through like the insurance process. So like the insurance wanted you to go through the children's hospital and all that. So it took quite some time, but we finally found a private practice that came highly, highly recommended. And it would, you know, be, it took me like a while to, I don't know, come to terms with doing it a different way, getting a diagnosis a different way, because in my head, it was just like, this was the only way you can do it. And I don't know, for some reason, <laughs> that really just was hard for me to let go of. But then we were able to pretty quickly, I think it was like, let's see, four months later, get an evaluation on you know the calendar and that was great. So fast forward a little bit to the day of her diagnosis. So this was in May. And I'll just talk a little bit about what it was like to receive that. And she went in and did a very, very thorough evaluation. There was multiple providers, multiple doctors. Like there was, I felt like it was a very well-rounded assessment of our daughter. And it was a very accurate depiction of our daughter. So she wasn't having a particularly great day or a particularly hard day. It felt like genuinely accurate to how she was, what she struggled with, what she was great with, like all of that. And thankfully, this was in a wonderful facility that had, you know, big rooms with tons of toys and fun and lights and like all the things that should be in a child environment. So loved that. Okay. Receiving her actual diagnosis that day was very bittersweet. So it didn't come as any surprise, but it was harder to digest when there was no question left involved. So there wasn't that, you know, little nagging voice saying, well, it could be this. Well, it might be that. Like now it was just concrete. So in some ways it was, it was really great for it to be concrete because then we could just move on instead of constantly questioning everything. But then again, like it's hard because it's concrete. It is, it is. And like it, there was no, you know, question from the provider. There was no question from us. Like 
it just became what it was. And it felt good to know for sure because then we could move on from waiting to finding ways to help her cope and learn and grow and accommodate. But I also think that's really when it hit me that this was lifelong. This wasn't, you know, we've gone through so many medical things with her. This wasn't just like a medical diagnosis where there are options to treat or fix or cure or anything like that. Like, and not that I think that autism needs to be cured or treated or anything like that, but just like the realization that this is lifelong. This is something we're going to deal with and that is going to be a part of her life forever. And in some ways there was a lot of grief that came with that. And it it wasn't grief necessarily for what I thought our life would be or how I thought it was going to affect me, but there was like this deep sadness of realizing just how hard things were for her and would continue to be for her. And I will say now that I'm several years out, I don't feel that sadness as much, but I still definitely do because she has to work so, so, so hard for things that come, I mean, just instantly, naturally to other kids. And and yeah, things just are hard and that makes me sad. And that is something I still work through a lot. But on that day, I think it hit me for the first time. So anyways, uh, that day on the way home, I remember we like stopped at a restaurant drive through and we were ordering and the guy asked me what I wanted and I just started sobbing <laughs> and my husband had to order for me and I just like all of a sudden hit me and and it was a lot too of just like I had been holding in so much for months and it was it was tears of relief it was exhaustion it was gratitude it was anger it was sadness it was just overall tears of like love for my daughter like it was just it was everything and I think it was just good to get it out because then that night I remember I told my husband I was like look I I need to go just have some time to myself and I decided to go to Target because you know where else does one go when they need to (laughs) just get out of the house and aimlessly walk around when it's 100 degrees out. Obviously, I went to Target and I got there and I was like, I remember watching a mom and her daughter, who was probably my daughter's age, like talking about something and this pang of like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to have that? Well, my daughter at the time, like my daughter wasn't able to talk in like a communicative way. Like we couldn't have like these conversations. And I was like, oh my gosh, what if I never have that? Or, you know, I'm like thinking through all these things. And I I stopped myself and I said, no, no, I'm not going there. Not today. Today, we're going to like celebrate this in our new life. And this like makes me like tear up a little bit because I just vividly remember like having to stop and like change my thoughts because I did not want to just feel sad about this. And I remember thinking, somebody had told me this somewhere along the the way, that if you receive a diagnosis, autism, it doesn't change anything. Your daughter is still the same person, but at the same time, it changes everything. And I wanted to like remember, this is still my daughter I love. And 
think the world of and thinks is just like the most magical human. This is just a, a part of her story and we are going to use this part to be able to help her. And anyways, so I remember walking around Target and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to get some like little things to just like give her and have it be a symbol of like, this is a new part of our journey and I love you and I'm proud of you. And this doesn't change anything about how I feel about you. So I went and I bought a little like pre-planted potted flower that you just add water to and it just grows on its own. And I was like, oh, this will be kind of like a symbol of like the start of our journey. And um, yeah, it was just like this tiny, I think it was like a little daisy or something. And I got that. And I remember I went and got her like a couple of fidget toys and poppers and things that I was like, oh, I think that she'll really enjoy these. And they're like very common things in the autism world, like kids with autism often love like fidget toys and poppers. And I was like, ooh, this feels like (laughs) very like, I don't know, exciting for her to have. I don't know. I don't know. Um, And then I got her a couple of like her favorite treats and snacks. And I remember giving them to her and just telling her how much I loved her and that I would always love and fight for her. And I think that that whole afternoon was just a healing experience. And I didn't just, you know, wake up the next day and just, you know, have rainbows and sunshines everywhere. And the rest of our journey was easy peasy. But like, I think it was a moment of reckoning and a moment of just accepting and moving forward and recognizing that love for her was like the prevailing thing, not the autism or anything that we got from the evaluation. So anyways, I just wanted to share that because that was just such a big part of how I felt in that day and in all of that. So yeah, that was how we actually received her diagnosis. Uh, But then some of the hardest parts were after we received her diagnosis. So after that time, I didn't struggle as much with the acceptance of it, but on what to do next. I think I went through the acceptance part of it the prior summer when it had been brought up and I realized, oh my gosh, yes, I think this is autism. I had that whole year to kind of process and accept, but then it was like we were thrust into this like, okay, now what do we do? And at the time, my husband and I realized for many, many reasons, Arizona was not a good fit for our family. We were not having good success with the developmental um, preschool program through like the school district. It felt more like they just babysat her than like helped her or helped her flourish in any way. We quickly realized that now we were going to play the waiting game again to get back on wait lists for speech, OT, uh, all these different like therapies that were recommended to us. We were really interested in floor time. And like some of these had wait lists over a year long. And it's like, we can't just sit here for a year and not do anything, you know? And uh, a couple other reasons, but like Arizona just for our family was not working. And we realized that we knew where we needed to go. And that was back to Colorado 
to be back with our family. But what was so hard is that's not something you can, well, at least something we couldn't just do overnight. So we were in this like weird in-between stage of like, we lived in Arizona. We wanted to be in Colorado. I needed to plan our next steps based on being in Arizona because we didn't know how long it was going to take to get back. But then also I wanted to like plan, assuming we did eventually get back to Colorado. So I was kind of like planning and searching for these two different situations. And that was just like a lot, a lot, a lot. And I think looking back, I couldn't see it at the time, but I, I think one way I was really struggling and it became really destructive for myself and I think my family was, I went into manic research mode. And I had this mentality that if I could learn everything about autism, that I could be more helpful to her, that I could integrate. Like I I had this mentality that I'm like, if I can't get her into speech and OT and, you know, all of these different things that I would just do it, you know? So then I'm trying to like play mom and play therapist and do all these things. And I honestly felt like I didn't know how to do any of it. I didn't know how to do it because I wasn't equipped. That wasn't my thing. And I just took on way, way, way too much because I couldn't accept sitting around and doing nothing. But it it really took its toll on me. And I look back and I can like... I don't know. I there's like this grief of I wish I could have just um done more of the like playing silly fun like mom role as opposed to like this trying to fit therapy into every moment I could or trying to help learn to regulate in this way or that way. I don't know. It just took over and I I'm sad thinking back on that. Um but at the time at the same time like i give myself grace because i know i was doing the best i can and at the end of the day that's all we can do and i know better now <laughs> through a lot of therapy and a lot of like talking through this but anyways i really wanted to share that part because that was a huge struggle of mine was this like research crazed version of myself that I became and I didn't realize how unhealthy it got until I was out of it. So anyways, moving forward, getting closer to the end. I know this is like kind of a longer episode, but there's just, there's so much to it. So um, while we were trying to move back to Colorado, there was the span of like, we were just on wait list, but we were able to get into speech therapy once a week for 30 minutes. And that's all she got. And it was so discouraging. We saw no progress. It was 40 minutes away. She hated going. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, is this what it's going to be like? Is she going to hate every single time we go? And, and I now know it's totally different because it just wasn't a good fit. It wasn't consistent, you know, all this stuff. So after that kind of waiting period. Thankfully, my husband got a job back in Colorado and we immediately moved back. And I will, I will pat myself on the back on this one. Like I said, I did this dual like planning for 
if we get stuck in Arizona forever. Or I also did a lot of planning, assuming we would get back to Colorado. So I knew exactly where I wanted to live because of the school district. I knew what kind of therapy I thought would be helpful for her. I knew the, you know, developmental preschool I wanted to get her in. Like I was set. So like when we got the green light to move back, we knew pretty much exactly where to zone into and find a place to live. And I think I even, this is kind of funny to think back on, I'm pretty sure I even got her on a wait list for the therapies before my husband even got a job offer because I was like, I don't want to lose any time by waiting till we get back to Colorado to get on the wait list. So I got on them like while we were still out there, which actually really helped because we did not have a long wait. Um, But yeah, and we moved 10 minutes away from my family and I am happy to report a year and a half later that we found a fantastic fantastic fit for our daughter. She absolutely is thriving in what we have set up for her. We finally found a good balance of school to therapy to home to activities. We finally found the right balance for her and she loves school. She loves, I mean, I'm not kidding you when I tell you, she loves all the different like types of therapies she's in and the people who interact with her are like family and and family. We also are close to family and we're able to have that, you know, support. And she has just made a massive leap in her development. Um, at this point, I mean, we were able to get supports for an AAC device to help her communicate. She is communicating with that. She's communicating via sign language. She is communicating verbally. Her verbal language has exploded. She is happy. Um, that is, I think, the most exciting thing to report is that our daughter is happy. She is thriving. She is fulfilled. She we're, we're starting to like learn and like see different parts of our daughter that we weren't able to see for a long time because she was in so much distress and didn't have the right supports. And now that she has the right supports, we're seeing these new silly goofy incredibly smart creative wonderful sides to her. And now that, you know, we're a couple years out from the autism diagnosis, like, yes, our daughter has autism, but that isn't like the overarching theme of everything. Yes, it plays into every part of our life, but I just share this because I want to give other people hope that finding the right services and when the parents too, like, are doing better. My husband and I are doing so much better now that we have our friends and family and like our supports in place. I don't know, just a lot of things fell into place that are making it so that we are all doing really well as a family and as people. And I want to give hope to that, but I also want to like be able to share that we went through and still go through so many hard 
things related to what it was like to get our autism diagnosis and what it's like since then. I mean, this is just such an up and down thing, but yeah, I just was really excited to share all of this with you guys because in a, in a lot of ways, autism and the diagnosis piece and the getting services piece is is still like pretty taboo to talk about, you know? And I don't want it to be that way. I I felt so alone and isolated and I feel like what I can do in my position, you know, of having a podcast is trying to be able to be open where I can and just be able to share experience. So I, I hope it was helpful for parents or providers too. I think it's really important for providers and people who work with people with autism to like hear this side of it. So anyways, I am so grateful for everybody who listened today. I absolutely love doing these solo episodes and I hope to do more soon. I will probably do the NICU one pretty soon as well. So Fear not if you voted for the NICU episode. That should come up pretty soon. And uh, one last thing, I just wanted to ask all of you if you could please rate and review the podcast. I never understood when podcasters or anything like that would ask that before, like what the importance of it was. But for me, it is so that other people can find this podcast. So the more you know, likes and ratings and reviews these podcasts have, the higher they go up in the search bar of people trying to find stuff like this. And I I just hope that more people can find things that they can, can connect to. So if you could, I would love a rating and review. That would mean so much to me. And thank you guys all for tuning into another episode of the Disability Parenting Podcast. Until next time.